Right, hello everybody. Today I'm here with Callie Bird hello. and we've just arrived in Archbishop's Park. This is the Travelling Through podcast where we talk about London, the world and life. I'm your host Emma and today's guest is Callie Bird. It was a day of torrential rain, helicopters hovering ahead, ambulances driving by, children and a lot of noise. You'll definitely feel you're in the park with us. So hello, Callie. Hi there. Am I pronouncing your yes, name? Yes, that's right, Callie. Callie. Yeah, Callie. like okay. California. Yeah. Like California. <laughs> Actually, I've only known Callie in one format, and that is the town in Colombia. Yes. Have you been? No, but I've heard about it. Second City, Colombia, drugs cartel. Yeah. And okay. there's, there's an Indian goddess, Callie or Callie okay. as well. I'm just going to move this slightly. Okay. There we go. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yes, there's uh, Indian people say, and she's a goddess of a warrior type goddess. Okay. As well. And your name is after her? <laughs> no, my real name is Caroline. Okay. Um, my brother, I, he was two when I was born, and he couldn't say Caroline, and he said Carol Kalala, and it got shortened to Kali. Yes. Which I hated when I was a child. I know it's Caroline, <laughs> but when I was 25, I thought that's damn trendy, and I've been Kali ever since. Have and it you? is no one knows me as Caroline anymore, so this, you, you know this is yes. a secret out. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing it with the Travelling Through podcast. <laughs> and so your website is actually callybird.com. Yeah, that's for the book Tales the Countess. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. Um, but to start with, we're in Archbishop's Park, which is one of your favourite parts. I love this park. This... I haven't been here for months. <laughs> no, and it's because you were brought up in this area? Or... Actually, no. I was. I grew up in Bevershire, in yeah. Dunstable, yes. um, and I now live 10 miles from there. But I came to London as a young, you know, 21 years old, earliest opportunity. I lived in Finchley initially for a couple of years. And in 1989, me and my friends rented a sublet council flat. And I'm just pointing to it over there. But it's on um, Hercules Road. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, Hercules um, Road. Where we each had a bedroom. You know, we didn't have a living room. The living room had to be a bedroom because that was the only way we could afford it. Yes. And that was the beginning of my relationship with, with this neck of the woods. With this area. And then, then I went off travelling. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And then I came back and I bought a flat. Um, just near there, um, next to the Three Stacks pub. Oh gosh, yeah. And I lived there till about eight, nine years ago. Then I went back up to the Shires, as I like to call it. But pre-pandemic, I'm sort of still working in London, and, yes. I, and I'm not very good at commuting. So I used to stay at the Point A Hotel at London. Okay, so that's right. You know, two or three times a month. Costa Coffee Shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so even though I left, I was still here. Yeah. Um, which is fab, and you know, this is still. But very homely place it is. to me. You feel very comfortable. In yeah, the, in the and I've just coming down today. You know, I've seen three or four people I know in the shops. You know, <laughs> it's just lovely to to see those people. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really nice, isn't it? Sort of familiar faces, even yeah. though you're not in the area. Yeah, I, I left, but I'm still here. Yes, yes. And Lower Marsh, where traveling through was, you visited. I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yes. seen Lower Marsh. Yeah, yeah. Goes through different incarnations over the years. Yeah, I remember your shop. You know. Oh, good. Oh, that's good. Yes, I um, came in at some point. At least. You did. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I recognise your face from there yeah. and, and it's just through lots of different connections that you realize that uh, different people came in at different times yeah. and I wasn't always there to, to talk to everybody yeah. but, um, but, no, I do but it's it. your connection also and the reason why I've invited you to be on yeah. the podcast here is because you've got a new book out. I have a book out. Yes. And, and the first book? First novel. First, first novel. novel. Okay. Um, and that's called Tales of the Countess. So it's a romantic comedy. It's about being happy in yourself and then you get your man. Okay. But it has a bit of a twist. Um, it has handbags that talk. So <laughs> think Sex and the City meets Toy Story. Okay. So, so the Countess is a modern, is, she's a modern businesswoman. 
um, and it grew out of, so it's set where I used to live um, over on Kennington Road. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of, it grew out of um, an alter ego of mine. I used to call myself the Countess of Kennington for a laugh <laughs> many years ago. Um, and then when I started to write, I'm like, there's mileage in, in this. And I had handbags that all had names. Um, did you? you always did have that. Yeah. So I had all, all of that was in place before I started to write. This was about 1999. And then yeah. I did these creativity exercises and I realised there is mileage in this Countess character and her antics and the handbags so yeah what began as a short story gradually grew sort of several drafts um, and then learning about it turns out I knew nothing about novel writing but you don't know that till you start no. <laughs> and then about six or seven years in it's like oh yeah this is much harder than what I thought uh, but you know you sort of do courses and then well, I parked the book for a few years but still kept learning wrote a first draft of a couple of other things yeah and then came back to it about three years ago I thought it's time it's time to get this get this book out yeah and is that because the story evolved around your own personal story or was it someone else's story or no it it grew out of mine so I was the archetypal single girl you know life in the city sort of quite high octane work I used to work in investment banking at one point and then I sort of went sideways to more IT stuff um into my 30s single everyone else is pairing up you know getting married having babies it just never happened for me a few disastrous falling in love sort of love affairs but which never went anywhere yeah. so so the book kind of come out that and it you know there was a lot of pain with that as well because yeah. you know biological clocks sort of ticking away and you're going yeah. through your 30s and it just ain't happening yes yeah. and so that did drive the story and the great thing was about a story was it's like oh you can pick the ending you know you can have it you can have it work out you know? yes yes so it so it grew from that but with each draft of the novel you know what was real falls away because just because it happened in your own life doesn't necessarily make good reading in a story so it's like the story developed its own its own integrity its own truth Um, and then yeah when I was nearly 40 I then got together with my now husband who we were at school together up in Bedfordshire um, and had met through Friends Reunited you remember that in the days before Facebook and sort of school reunions and stuff and it was it was his 40th birthday. He was the first one of us to turn 40. And I went to his party. And um, one of our friends is a singer. And he said, oh, um, Kerry's going to sing at our wedding. And I said, do you think we ought to go on a couple of dates first? You know? and, uh, and so it grew from there. And we hadn't sort of been in contact much, sort of yeah. in the gap between school and, and that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so finally I wasn't single anymore. I finally sorted that out. Um, and that's sort of then why I moved back up to Bedfordshire. So okay. I moved out here about 2011, 2011. Um, and moved to so moved to Bedfordshire. Nine yeah. years ago, it's gone so quick, yeah. I and mean, I can't believe it's that long. Yes. Uh, and so you you sat on that book. I sat on it. Yeah. So I worked on it for a few years. Then it went in the drawer, in the proverbial drawer, for about eight years, nine years, okay. and then it was the end of 2016. And um, it's funny. I went to a fringe play, do you know Waterloo East Theatre? Yes, I went yes. there and it was a play about David Bowie. It was the year David Bowie had died. And that was, you know, he was very upset about that. Yes. And the play opened with him singing a version of My Way, you know, sort of Frank Sinatra song. And, and I, I like My Way and it sort of, it, it says a lot about my life, actually. I do live like that. <laughs> and I came away thinking, you know, I thought, if, if, you know, one day at my funeral, I don't know why I think like this, one day at my funeral, I'd like to have My Way. And then I thought about the Countess in the drawer and I thought, do I want to get someone to get off the computer, print it out and give it to my friends? Because everyone knew about this book being written and yeah. people used to ask me about it. And I, again, I was walking back to point A at Lambeth North and I thought, 
you know what? You don't have to be dead to do this. You could just resurrect her yourself. You know, perhaps it's time. I always knew I'd go back to her, even though I put her away. And, you know, you get that sort of shiver of excitement and, and the anticipation. So, yeah, that was the end of 2016 and sort of, yeah, early 2017. I pulled it out. I had a couple of different versions of it. Did you? Okay, um, so rereading it. Reread it, yeah. really strange to reread it after so many years? Had you developed your, your, your sort of writing style since putting the book in the drawer or had you stopped writing or, or just hadn't really... No, that much writing. I've always been. I know I've always written because I wrote something else, and in more recent years, I I blog about creativity at Gentle Creative. Um, it was a big advantage having the passing of time because I was less emotionally attached to it. Because right. back in my single days, it was like this is my story. You know, you can't change it. It has to be like this. Where you know, time gone by. It was now. I really still believe in this project. I know I hit sort of a wall with it. Well, what has to happen to it to get it out there? I was less emotionally attached. It's like, what's okay. the best way of sorting out this story, yeah. getting yeah. it done and, yeah. and getting it out there? So it, it was great to have that passing of time and now emotional detachment yes. from it. And, yes. yeah. um, and I had two versions. I had what I called the penultimate draft, which was about draft six, I think, which I liked. And then someone had given me feedback on it and said you need to do this you need to do this and I'd done another draft and like about two-thirds of the way through I broke it this is several months work and it's like this doesn't work anymore and that's the point I put it away okay. and I used to call that the final draft but it was always the penultimate draft that like <laughs> that was the one like if I get hit by a bus get this out print it and give it to people at my funeral um so I kind of read both <laughs> yes yeah so I read both and I still like the penultimate draft best but there was stuff in I then called the final draft that had really had merits and there was stuff that I some of it did work yeah so then it's like oh actually I think the answer is between the two and okay. so you you know go file save as on your documents and <laughs> and off you go on the next draft and so yeah and then I had a bit more feedback on it and tweaked it and then about 18 months ago I thought right now it's ready and yeah. then I then I hired a professional editor and got sort of did that final stuff ready for publication it's always that final moment when you're prepared to let it go even though you could carry on editing and editing forever and yeah and then giving it to a professional person because that's I think probably at that point you feel you're most vulnerable in a way. you can kill it because you can go over and over and you can take if you take everybody's feedback on board you know, you'll, you'll never get anywhere with it. So I did have some beta readers and so, so the talking handbags, you know, one of the sort of feedback they all came back with was um, we can handle them talking to the Countess, but we think it'd be better if they didn't talk to other people. Then the reader will never really know is, you know, do they talk or not? Is it all yeah. just, you know, in our minds? Well, we've got a helicopter, haven't we? <laughs> oh, the joys of London. We'll have to keep walking. <laughs> so, yeah, so some feedback you take on board and then others. By then I was very set on the story. I was absolutely sure that um, this is the story. This is the truth of what happened to this, this character. You know, the truth in story world. Um, you kind of just hit a point where you know this is my story and I'm not changing it now. This is how it is. This is it. Uh, you can tweak it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can tweak it. Um, you can improve it, but I'm not changing the story. Yes, yes. And that, yeah, so that 
in one hand it's quite liberating on the other hand it's quite scary because you don't actually know if you're right or not you know no, no. and then um so yeah and then it went to a professional editor and there was stuff to tweak there and just sort of changing a little bit about how some of the emotions and stuff are expressed in it and again even though they're a professional you have to walk the line between yeah i think they're right on this feedback and actually i don't want to alter the spirit of it that much so it was a case of like tightrope walking between what I really knew in my heart yes. and what actually, yeah, I think this person's right and I need to take it on board, but only up until this point, not okay. that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you set the boundaries beyond which, or up to which you were prepared to yeah. go, but beyond which you would not. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And it is a punt because you don't know, no. you know, I, I could be wrong because, you know, a lot of people look to me and go, what, talking handbags, really? <laughs> you know, you know, why does she just talk to a group of friends? I'm like, yeah, because there's a hundred thousand books like that. But I've always believed in this Countess and her talking handbags. Yeah. And how they sort out of um, you know all of emotional ups and downs over this bloke. So um, what do you call the MSL? Yeah, so the MSL stands for the man she loves. So yeah, between her and her best friend in, in the book, they both had had this unrequited love, and the best friend's in the, you know he turned out to be not that good a man. But the Countess says she just could not get over this guy she used to work with, and and she leaves because she was working in New York. Um, and she comes back to London. So the book opens when she's making a fresh start in London, trying to, trying to get past this guy. Yes. But then, of course, in the course of their work, they come back in contact again, and then they're at the same conference, and, and it's that will they, won't they, and you know, yeah. she's trying to get over him, but she just can't, and that sort of emotional battle. Which we all go through as well. <laughs> yes, which we've all been there, yeah. Not everybody, but a lot of people. Have. I certainly did, yeah. <laughs> So it's really a story for women from teenage, late teenage... Yeah, I would say 20s. 20s to 30s, certainly if you're in that sort of single woman age band like I was, um, then there's much in there that you'll recognise and it's very sort of sympathetic to the, the pain that you... You know, I went through a lot of pain, you know, I was having a good time as well, but there's a lot of pain, especially around having children and watching everyone else pair up and yeah. you just don't seem to be able to do that. So yeah, people are in that situation, but obviously but when it's come out a lot of my friends who are now you know they're in their 40s and 50s they're my age I mean it, you know people have, they've really enjoyed it so yeah. oh, I good. think so I think probably 20s upwards yeah it's, it, and people have told me it's great um, escapism obviously we're in very tricky times at the moment it's been a bit of a grim year yeah. and, and people say it's just been just just fun light escapism reading about the countess and her handbags that's sort of a lot of the reviews on Amazon say that so, you know well, that's really good that you've got those kind of reviews yeah. really your well. Well, well that's it because you it's never nice. know yeah you never know till you put it out there how it's going to be because yeah. you know it's like it's like well it could be crap yeah. but but i then but i got great feedback and it was great i got the f i'd always believed in this as a project even though it taken me a number of years to bring it to fruition and, and yeah and you have so many people say oh don't do it like that or you can't do that because but it's it was still there in my heart yeah um, and then to get that feedback from people, and it went um, on a blog tour, so it was like lots of book reviewers, like blog, uh, sort of book bloggers reviewed it in okay. July. Yeah. And every single one came back with, I've never read anything like this, it's kooky, it's quirky, it's really well written. Um, some of them didn't like it to start with, but it won them over. You know, some of them were a bit, I wasn't sure about the Countess, but actually by the end it was really good. So to get that kind of feedback from people who don't know me, they're not my mates, they don't know me from Adam. Yeah. It, it was it was a really amazing vindication because because yes. I, I had always believed in it I'd always believed that it could have this power to entertain okay. 
and it just took a long time to get it out there <laughs> and it was and it yeah and it was great to, to get that feedback from so the world say, in general you say it went on a blog tour <laughs> how did you implement that or initiate that? well um thankfully i uh, it was um i belong to a local writers group i live in a town called Amptill, and we um pre-pandemic we used to meet in a local pub first wednesday of the month and just chat about writing it wasn't like a formal some people like you know writer circles where they read yes. each other's stuff and give feedback ours was just just chit chat over a gnt first yes. wednesday of the month and um and people in there at different stages of publication some are traditionally published some are self-published some are just starting out you know it's all, all different um spaces and there was someone in there who had recently launched a book and she told me about a book publicity person who just for, for, for a fee and it wasn't that expensive to be honest lined up these book bloggers for you so I didn't have to go out and get them someone else really yeah. in the know yes. just pitched it out to all her contacts okay. and then comes back and said right yeah I've got 10 takers we'll do two a day they picked a week it was about two months out from where we were yes, yes. Um, and that yeah, gave them time to read it and then in each one was coordinated they just published their blog on the sort of each given day of the week and yeah, yeah. and then you just promote like crazy on social media you know but it was fantastic and again I you know they could have come back and said oh no don't like this what a load of rubbish and that'd be all over the internet yeah, um, but, but thankfully yeah, they didn't yeah. it was yeah it was tough but they came yeah but they all they all loved it and they say yeah. kooky and quirky are the, the two most common you words that came up <laughs> yeah. descriptive words yeah. well that's good I mean I think that's quite that's good yeah I was really happy with it yeah. so this helicopter is still flying above us so I'm hoping that this will come out fine. So moving on from, from the from the book, um, so you said you spent time you were in life in your life here in London was in the investment world. Originally at yeah at one point. And yeah. then you moved into life coaching. Yeah. So is that a natural sort of step away from the investment world like did you need your own self like count, not counseling but um coaching to get yourself out of that world well, kind of so once upon a time i did a music degree i grew up in a very musical house and i went to university and i did a music degree but it transpired that equipped me to be an unemployed flute player or a classroom music teacher neither of which appealed to me and at the university careers service at the time for anybody who didn't know what they wanted to do, the standard advice was become a chartered accountant. I was. <laughs> so, so nineteen eighty-seven became a chartered accountant. Worked with Touche Ross and now part of Deloitte's, you know, one of the big accountancy firms, yes. and trained as an auditor, and then from that went into investment banking. But I guess what if you're creative, you're creative, and you can bury it for a few years. Yes, yeah. But eventually, yeah. it, you know, it bites you on the bum, and then you have to do something with it. So, it pops so out. yeah, yeah, you can't hold it down. <laughs> yeah, you can try, and you can succeed for a while. Yes. So by about sort of yeah, sort of sort of late nineties, I used to go to these personal development seminars. You know, where you know sort your life out seminars. I used yes. to call them, and I used to think. And I'm, a, I'm very happy as public speaking. I, I practice Buddhism and I've given lectures on Buddhism before, sort of in our sort of local study lectures. And I used to look at these people and think, that's what I'd love to do. I, I'd love to 
speaking and inspire people. But at the time, I didn't really have an inspiring story because I was still a computer programmer because you needed the, once upon a time I was a board computer programmer and now I'm this and it's amazing and I'll tell you how to get there. You know, and that's sort of what these talks boil down to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't have the, here's the after know, picture. I, yeah. And then I started writing. So when the Countess sort of came about, I thought, oh, great, I'll, I'll write a bestseller like you do when you're beginning that writer. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll have the, you know, I'll have the, and I became a bestseller writer and I can inspire you to do the same. But I, I realized that obviously doesn't just happen like that and takes takes a long time so but but after a few years of going to these seminars and you know I'm writing on the side and I started working part-time in my day job and I'd sort of moved into more sort of software and I've moved out of banking but still doing software um, so I test software and I do development in a type of software and I started doing that three days a week and I was writing and other writers were coming out the closet at work and we always chat about writing and then eventually I thought, well, I, whilst I'm not at the final place where I'd like to be, I, I have moved from where I was and I can talk about that. Yes. Um, and then this contract came to an end and then that was about 2005 and I thought, right, I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to train as a life coach. Let's just do it. So I did that and I set up shop as a life coach for a few years, which was, was amazing working with people and I got to do some of the talks. But as is common with a lot of coaches, it was great doing it, but I wasn't making enough money. The business okay. side of it, I didn't get sussed. I mean, I loved, you know, it was amazing working with clients and, and watching them do yeah. what they needed to do with their yeah. lives. Yeah. And, and I very much, I attracted people like me from a real corporate background who wanted just to do something a bit more meaningful or a passion on the side. Um, so, and I, yeah, and I wrote a book about that, Don't Give Up Your Day Job, yes. which is about doing stuff on the side. You know, most okay. people can't afford to give up their day job. And so I went back into, into IT, into sort of doing technology software work, but again, still part-time. This yes. is about 2008, which at the time felt like a failure, but actually it still allowed me to earn sort of good bread and butter money yes. and do the creative stuff on the side. So, so yeah. able to do... So that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes taking the plunge isn't always the right solution is it no it doesn't work for a lot of people especially if you've been in and i think the older you are you know if you've been in corporate life you're an accountant you're a solicitor you work in the city you know what whatever it is you get to a certain level of earnings you've probably got a house you've probably got a family and for most people it isn't realistic just to give that up and and try and make it a business because yes. business doesn't always go right first time and not everyone and i don't think i had that aptitude for it either but I thought, well, I want to find ways for people to scratch the itch anyway, because can you do it a different way? Like I've yes. done it by working part time. Okay. It's what is it that your life wants to do and, and how could you do it alongside what you have to do? Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, be it a hobby or a sort of side gig business or just sort of writing on the side. And, yes. and that's very much sort of been my approach over the years. And I blog now about creativity. And again, it's about don't give up the day job. But where can you find the pockets of time? You know, where can, you know, I write in the mornings before work. I, you know, when I used to commute into London, I used to have a laptop out on the train. Thames trains where it's really, really cramped and the seat in front of you is only about a foot away and you can barely <laughs> type on your laptop. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, I have a choice. I can bang out 500 words for my next blog mm -hmm. in, in this very imperfect situation. Yeah. Or, or I can not. Yeah. And I can say, oh, well, you know, I can't because. I'm not in the real environment. No, so, so you can, you can take, take the chances where you can and, yeah. and do it. Yeah. And scratch the itch, yeah. even if it's not doing it as much as you might want to. Yeah. Or not. And so I'm very much about, yeah, encouraging people over those sort of common blocks in creativity. 
yes. to have a go anyway. And again, yes. because, yeah, you might get music on the radio, you might get a book on Waterstones, you probably won't, but, but you can still get so much from doing it. And, yeah. and from being creative and seeing where it goes and where it leads you and yeah. and you pick up lots of other skills on the way that can dovetail in with your day job. Yes, I mean I think actually what you say is in terms of it, to satisfy yourself is actually the first, it is the yeah. first necessity really in creativity. Yeah, because it makes you a better person because if you don't do it, I always just say to my life coaching clients, you know, the cost of when you're in a job and you're unhappy, it's expensive because you, you go on retail therapy. Yeah. You're you so str- yeah, you buy handbags like I did, although we'll have to put them to good creative use. You have to have acupuncture every week because you're so stressed and that's 50 quid a session. You buy things to make yourself feel better. So, so being unhappy can get expensive. Yes. yes. Where if you, can, if you can do something which does nourish you, that you don't need as much as that other stuff. You know, whether it's sort of art with a capital A creativity or whether it's gardening or cooking or dressmaking or, you know, whatever your thing is. When you do that, then I think it just puts you in a better headspace. I think it makes you a better person and therefore you're much nicer in the rest of your life where you're out serving the world and doing the day job and your family and exactly. everything else as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it makes you much more rounded yeah. and happy and everyone benefits from that. I think also that a lot of people have, <coughs> have creativity and they, they don't think they have time for it or don't make time for it. Yeah. And in fact, you don't need, as you say, very much no. time to actually be a little bit creative and then feel a lot more balanced in life yeah yourself. and that's really what I encourage you know it's it's better to do you can do 20 minutes a day I can write 500 words in 20 minutes and I can edit them in my 20 minutes tomorrow yeah and and that's something which I wouldn't have done otherwise you know it's, it's great to have you know it's great at the times when you can have more time yes but you can't always no. and, and also if you build that sort of creative habit in that little and often kind of way then you are sort of, you've built that habit and you're skilled up. So at times when you do have more time, you're actually in a position to take advantage of that. Rather than at that point, you know, having given up the job and then you're faced with a blank page and you haven't developed a writing habit and you don't know anything about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that's quite dangerous. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> so with, with the book, um, Don't Give Up the Day yeah. you sell that on Amazon, do you? Yeah, that's on Amazon and I have... Um, yeah, you can get it direct from me as well. Is that an on the as well? It, it was. It's not at the moment. That was through another publisher, and the it's actually got out of date. The ebook version, so it's not um, available at the moment. One of the things now I've learned so much more about self-publishing is at some point I'd like to sort of take control of that book myself and, and republish it. But that's 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 on my list of things to get time for. Yeah. <laughs> you can get it on Amazon. It, you can certainly get second-hand copies of it on Amazon. It is still floating around. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure that goes in the show notes for Yeah, thank you, thank you. To look at that, and also obviously your your novel as well. Yes, I, um, yeah, thank and, you. And in fact, on so in terms of publishing, did you set up your own publishing practice or something to what? do it, or did, what, was the, what were the challenges that you faced sort of self-publishing? So um, yeah, so I basically I've learned how to self-publish. Um, which is so much more advanced and easier than what it used to be. When I was working on The Countess years ago, I mean, I did do the sending off to literary agents and getting rejections and getting hand-scribbled yeah. notes on rejections that said it was really good but not right for us. Yeah. And I used to call that a good rejection. <laughs> um, I think the ones I got were um, 
it's very well written, but um, the theme is not unique enough, and you are not unique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not famous, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was uh, all they were looking for. Yeah, and it's and it's even more so now, I think. Yeah. So back then, I wasn't keen on self-publishing, and self-publishing was a bit of a dirty word then, but. In the last three or four years, I listened to loads of publishing podcasts and, and, and it's changed and traditionally published authors are now self-publishing. The publishers don't do any marketing. They don't do much for you now anyway, unless you're that big famous name. So you pretty much have to do everything that you do as a self-publisher anyway. And, I, and again, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I bought a course on it by a guy called Mark Dawson, who's sort of oh, one, yes, of the, one, of, one of the kings of, yeah, so you know him. You know, and I bought one of his courses and I learned how to do it and I learned sort of the you know internet mechanism and mailing list and all of that stuff you have to put around it um, and I loved it it was really great to learn something because I've got an IT background I wasn't phased by the technology and beginning this year sort of formatting the Countess and you know so it can go out on Kindle format and EPUB yeah. format and then the print on demand I mean yeah. the print on demand is fantastic so definitely uh, you know the quality you having to stockpile yeah to yes and have some under the stairs stuff. yeah like I've got you know a couple of hundred I don't go up your day job still under the stairs from 10 years ago <laughs> yeah so, um, so yeah and, and the I quality from you is that <laughs> yeah so I'll give you the link yeah <laughs> relieve the cupboard under the stairs yeah it might be 10 years old but it is a good read actually uh, you know and again i've had good feedback on it over the years something like that probably will not age as such because no. it's, uh, it's still yeah still quite universal people still hate their jobs and wish they could do something else exactly. in a realistic way you know? yeah so i yeah i learned how to self-publish and it and it's been amazing and i i've loved having the control because i see the countess as three books okay. i'm currently working on the second one now and one of my fears with the traditional world was because, you know, marketing budgets come and go, it's yeah. that I'd sell the rights and you'd be all excited. Oh, I've got a publishing deal. And then they'd just pull the money whenever they felt like it. But they would own the Countess. And then I wouldn't be able to get the second and the third one. Yeah. And, and I wasn't keen on that. And because the self-publishing world has changed so much and it's much more respectable now and the quality... And, and everything you can do. I mean, you looking at my book, you won't know that it's self-published. You know, I hired the same cover designers that this guy's designed for Stephen King. If that's good enough for him, that's good enough for me. I hired a professional editor who works for all the publishers as well as self-publishers. So it's been through the same process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it looks the same as, as, as a book by any of the well-known publishers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now with the reviews, because that, that was always the thing, that's, you know, the gatekeeper, because it could have been a pile of rubbish that looked nice, but thankfully the reviews say that it isn't. So that was the final prong on the fork. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so. But it also means that when it comes to uh, people buying your books, that you are getting the majority of the percentage as yeah. well, rather than yeah. Yeah, you're getting much more per copy. Yeah, and I can decide whether to invest in it or, or not. To sell more, you really need to do advertising. Actually, it's not worth doing that until you've got the next book in the series and probably the one after that. So I make that choice. So at the minute, I am not putting ads on the Countess, but I can do that when it's ready. And where a traditional publisher could just, you know, put it in the back in the back drawer and that's it it's gone forever yes. you know so yeah, yeah. i really love the control and yeah. the sort of your into this my intellectual property and i own it yeah. and yeah. you know and i can do any deals i want on it should the chance arise but it, it's mine yeah, and, and i yeah and it stands it, it wins or 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 not 
on my efforts, which I also really love. Can't blame anyone else no. if, it, if it doesn't go the way I want it to. And, and I was really excited about that when I made that decision. So actually launching it in 2020, pretty tough really because you couldn't go you couldn't have a proper launch party no. um, so what did you do so i had always planned launching it in 2020 before the pandemic and i'd actually negotiated a bit of time off work so i could do all the rounds and do all the things you have to do and then the pandemic came along and it didn't feel like a good time to take out work so i decided not to but i still thought you know what if ever if, if ever there's a time that people need to be entertained by talking handbags it is now <laughs> And so I decided, uh, I thought, right, I'm just going to put it out on Kindle, which is the easiest thing to do first. And yes. I picked a date in May and I, and I did that. And in the end, it was no much harder to do the print as well. So by one day later, I had, had the print copy out. And I did it anyway. I had a party on Zoom. Um, so it kind of worked out cheaper than buying everyone else champagne because it was a 15 quid Zoom <laughs> Zoom subscription so I could go over the, the 40 minutes, you know. And so, yeah, I invited people to Zoom. I did a reading. I did a little chit chat about the background and some creativity yeah. tips. Uh, and everyone, you know, everyone had their glass or something nice. I did it on a Friday evening. And it was lovely seeing people I've known because all my friends and people I've worked with through the ages, they, everyone's known about this book. And it was a lovely opportunity to email someone you worked with five, ten years ago and say, it's out. Do you want to come to the launch? It's on Zoom at 6.30. It. You know? So it was fantastic. Um, I imagine it was also gave you the opportunity to invite people. If people could be a part of it from all different parts of the world, yeah. too, which you've yeah. been able to achieve. Yeah, I had friends in America and stuff. So from a virtual point of view, it, it has been quite good. I mean... What I haven't done and I'd like to do, I mean, I've got it stocked in my local library now. They would normally do author events. Of course, we can't do that. And, you know, I've got a list of bookshops that I now want to start pitching it to where they're probably also not doing author events, but whether we can do something virtual on that or not, we'll see as time goes on. So it's really starting to rain. It is starting to rain, isn't it? Um, where shall we go? Unless we go back to that. We could go on the other side the of other that shed. Yeah, yeah, should we do that? Because yeah. it is really coming down, isn't Sorry. it? Hang on. Because we're attached by cable, let me turn around. <laughs> and this will probably pass over, won't it? You're going to edit out the rain. <laughs> or do you leave this well, bit I in? Say, <laughs> I hope I'm not disturbing this person here too much. Oh, brilliant. Oh, this is good. We can park ourselves, can't yeah. we? Are you, are you all right there? Yeah, I'm fine, yeah. We can have a little perch, can't we, on this lovely wooden seats. <laughs> is that comfy? Yeah. Rest the old legs. We're not going to get totally soaked now. No, that's good. I, in fact, I've never sat. <laughs> These children are running around school kids. I've managed to wrap it around oh, the, the uh, saddle of my bike. <laughs> the children are <laughs> run in the rain, poor things. There we go. Um, yes, yeah, so, so as a result of your... your uh, what you will eventually do in terms of getting your book out to bookshops. Have you ever taken a copy to the British Library as well? I haven't and I need to yes. because for the ISBN you're supposed to give them one and I haven't done it. What, exactly. I haven't done it yet and they sent me an email a couple of weeks I ago. I got a letter from them saying why haven't you done and, and, and I, what do you got to? Because how great that my book would be in the British Library. So yeah there were so many things on my to-do list you know. <laughs> and you weigh them up against the time spent writing plus times doing everything <laughs> else and marketing and talking to lovely people like yourself, which I love doing. <laughs> I'm going to do another photograph of you. 
Fantastic. Um, so, Callie, as well as as well as um, writing, so what what do you do now? Are you still in the you're doing your life coaching as well? Well, I don't. I'm not active as a life coach, so I don't take clients. So I, I I parked it as a business about four or five years ago, um, but I do blog about creativity. Um, so gentlecreative.com. It's just got hints and tips. If, you know, again, how to get going on stuff yeah. alongside the day job. How to do it in a manageable way. I'm someone. I call it gentle creative. I'm someone who I've sort of fought fatigue all my life, and I, I'm. Um, it's not that I have big health problems, but I, I think I have a nam, I think I've got a namby pamby constituency, you know, and I, and I need to take life gently. And when I take life gently, then I'm actually very resilient. So the little and often it's approach. Well. Yeah, I mean, I can't these days. I mean, I used to work a sixty-hour week in banking. These days, I just I don't know. I just can't manage that. If I overdo it, I just get really mentally burnt out really quickly. So. Yeah. I have to just sort of, I, I sign up all my emails as plodding gently. And I just, I just plod gently one step at a time yeah. and, and do stuff at a manageable pace for me. And I just encourage other people to do that at the right, whatever the right pace is yeah. for them. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. matter how little, you know, there's, there's so much more I'd love to do. I haven't got there yet, but hey, at least I'm doing it and I've been doing it consistently yeah. for a yeah. number of years. Yeah. You know? no, and and it does add up over time. It does. And it's also just, um, being aware that you are putting stuff out there and 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 to also congratulate yourself for what you do do and not for what you don't do. Well that's it, yeah, because it's yeah you're permanently in the negative and, yeah. and putting yourself down. Yeah, and you have to learn not you, to do that. You've <laughs> got to put yourself in a positive situation because if you don't, who else is gonna do it? That's it, you have to, yeah, you have to build yourself up. But I'm a big fan of Marie Folio and she says progress not perfection. Okay. So just, um, it's a lady called Marie Folio. She does um, she does lots of videos again about sort of building sort of heart-centered businesses and creativity type stuff. Um, and yeah, she puts these videos out every week, and but they're amazing. And 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 uh, yeah, one of her mantras is progress, not perfection. So you know, because we, we yeah we can get hung up on and perfection can stop us creating. That's yeah. just that's a manifestation of fear. Elizabeth Gilbert says it's fear in high heels. People think sometimes perfectionism is, well, if I can't do it really, really well, I don't want to put it into the world. And, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, well, I'll do it good enough and it will be in the world. You know, and you just choose. You yeah. know, like, I choose to do it. Yeah. You know? And also then, yes, some, some people may criticise, but a lot won't. Yeah. And, and in which case, you, you, uh, you focus on the ones who, who are giving you positive or constructive yeah or, or a wiki rather than against yeah because you and you can't please everybody i mean i no. know i call this book a marmite book because i know talking handbags is not for everybody <laughs> you know but people either love or hate this book you know and i know it's not for some people if you're really into high class literary fiction this book isn't for you, you know? but yeah. if you read chiclet or, or romance or you know more like heart fiction then you'll probably enjoy it and, yeah. and that's fine i'm not gonna you know it's never gonna win the book a prize and no. i don't aspire yeah. to it well, you, know? you have chosen the genre in, which you want it to be in yeah. and you've written it with that in mind yeah it's you know it's, that's what i've got to say yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's talking handbags <laughs> so when you're not talking about handbags and now on book two and you'll have a third book coming you, you also blog um on medium as well yeah yeah and you do that fairly regularly because i had a quick look which i think is oh, very medium. impressive thank you I, you don't have to write very much either to sort of it's getting bite-sized 
um, messages out there that, are, that have a that do have a message. Yeah. Without overloading people or overwhelming people. Yeah. Me, I love Medium. So people who don't know, Medium.com is a blogging site, and you get people writing all kinds of articles. You get a lot around creativity, writing, productivity. And I discovered it about four years ago. It's set up by the guy who, one of the founders of Twitter, a guy called Ed Williams. And it's a blogging site, it's beautiful, it's got no ads, it's a beautiful interface to work in, to read stuff on. You can repost from your own blog, so Gentle Creative is a WordPress hosted blog. Um, it very much encourages reposting content onto Medium. So, you know, I do a blog every other Friday, you know, I post it on my own site, I post it on Medium. There's some stuff I put on Medium I don't put on my own site. Um, okay. You can actually make money from Medium now. Um, I don't post often enough to do that. I mean, I make a few dollars a month. Okay. But there are people who will post every single day on there. Um, and, you know, there are, there are, there is an element of people who, who are earning a fair bit off their writing. But you do have to post a lot to yeah. get to that. Yeah. And, and I'm just not. Yeah. Um, but it is an amazing site. And also, if you want to get into blogging or anything, it means you don't have to set up a website. Sometimes it's a technology which stops people doing things. You know, WordPress is a bit of a monster for some people. Yeah. So Medium, you just you, you just get yourself and you, know, you just log on. You can do it with your Facebook address and, and go. Yeah. And then you follow people, and I just learn. I just sort of followed some people I was interested in, and just sort of learn. Well, well I'll do what they do. You know? It's certainly a medium, part of the fun, that I've I've looked at but never have actually thought myself yeah. to to. to uh, Right yeah. off, but it yeah. seems it's not um, it, it isn't very it, it isn't overwhelming essentially what you have to do that. You just have to be clear about what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. and you can experiment and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and, and it's and it's getting you an audience you wouldn't otherwise have got. Actually, that's a good point. Is it is getting an audience that way that also helps to channel people towards your book? Yeah, basically, yeah. So, um, most of the people are who sign up on my gentle creative list I think come from medium because it is quite US based I mean there are British writers and readers on there but it is a big a lot of people are from the US so I can tell um, when someone signs up on my mailing list it, it tells you the IP of roughly where they are so yeah. I kind of assume if they're from the state they probably come through medium okay. and sometimes I see it because sometimes they you know somebody might comment on on a blog on medium and then yeah. I see their name come through on the mailing list so so yeah, it's 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 a ready-made audience. Like everything, you know, it's all algorithm-driven, and the more frequently the you post, the more you get found. But it's people you wouldn't otherwise have, have got. Yeah. yeah. And, and as I I've learned a lot from those people. I've been to conferences that of people, you know, like last September, not this year, but last year, I went to a, a group called the Tribe Writers Conference in Nashville. You know, and that was someone I followed through Medium. He had courses about blogging, had this amazing community. You know, I'd met them all online by buying the course and then eventually got to go to Nashville and meet them all in person. And, and, and that was all through Medium and it was amazing. Yeah. Coming, coming on from that, so the American theme. So yeah. You mentioned that you spent a year in Texas. Many moons ago. Many moons. I was 19. Oh yeah. Was that your first sort of trip away from, big trip away? Big trip, yeah. So I was, all, I think I was always fascinated by the U.S. and I was fascinated by American history. I love sort of 18th, 19th century the settlers, yeah. that sort of building of America type history. Um, so yeah, as a student, um, I was a student at Surrey University, and 
they had an exchange program to Michigan State um, and I applied to go on that and I didn't get that but I would say I was a music student but they were setting up a new relationship with North Texas State University which at the time was the second biggest music department in all of America and they okay. said look you can't go to Michigan but would you like to go here instead and it's an amazing music school it's like walking into the kids from fame there I mean it was a big jazz school there right. so there were amazing saxophone players in every corner twiddling away and yeah. stuff it was huge the facilities I mean I came from a department of about 80 people and the music school there was about 1500 people it was and so the facilities were incredible yes yeah. and, and this it, is you going with your flute yeah so I was a flautist yeah and, and I played piano as well but flute was my main instrument so it was amazing going there, but it was also a culture shock because, you know, I was 19 years old, this was the mid-80s, the only thing about America I knew was what you saw on telly, you know, it was Starsky and Hutch and sort of, you know, cop shows basically, isn't it? They're now either set in LA or Dukes New York. Hazard. Yeah, Dukes of Hazard, yeah. Um, and Starsky and Hutch, that was my American <laughs> experience. Um, and what I discovered, there's two to 3,000 miles of conservative America with a small C in between, and Texas was Bible Belt. So at Summer University, I was in mixed accommodation. You know, there was guys next door where you shared our own kitchen. It was no big deal. I, I went to Texas, and in the, the dorms, as they call it there, it was ladies up this end, gentlemen up that end, and there's a door here, and it shuts at 1 a.m. Oh, wow. And it's called visitation if you're caught on the other side, you know? And they had what they call RAs, residence assistants, like prefects yes. in, in the dorms who, up, who were like the, you know, the dorm police, basically. And I'm not going to come from a very liberal, do what you like, with whom, whenever, we don't care, you're an adult now, to you're 19, 20 years old and you're not going to be doing that and we're going to be shutting this door at one o'clock and woe betide you if you're on the wrong, side, on of the the wrong side of the door having a party, which I frequently was. So culturally, it was really different. Yeah. And, and, and at the time, I mean, it's before there were university fees here, so we got grants. You were pretty much self-sufficient as a student here in, in those days, where in America they were paying fees. So, so the people there were 20, 21 years old. I was 19. But that was quite a big difference, I think, at, at that age. But they were much more beholden to their parents. Mum and Dad were paying the fees. So the, the levels of maturity were yeah. kind of equal. So it was a real culture shock. So the first semester I really struggled because it was culturally so different. Yeah. Thankfully, I was 19 and the drinking age was 19 in Texas. Because, oh, I mean, as you've noticed, I am six foot tall. Yeah. And it was going up to 21, but in Texas, it was 19. I am six foot tall. I've been going into pubs since I was 15 years old and very rarely got carded. And all of a sudden, it's like there's picture ID. And if you're not old enough, you can't have a drink. So, I mean, I was tipped off on this and I got myself a fake ID here um, that said I was 21. <laughs> so, but thankfully, Texas was 19. But again, this was all a culture shock. Where we were, it was um, what they call semi-dry. There was no liquor. So just beer and wine coolers. If you were out in a bar, and that's all there was. And you had to drive 20 miles to the county line where there was a whole row of liquor stores. And it was so different right. from someone who'd been underage drinking since the age of 15 in yeah. pubs wherever I happened to be, you yeah, know. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So yeah, it was culturally different. But once I got used to that culture difference, then the second semester, sort of January through to May, I just absolutely loved it. You know, and but I'm probably had I been able to stay, I probably would have been a you know, I might become an RA because you've got your own room then. So I completely by the end of it accepted it's just different and yeah. and it took me a while to get used to it. And yeah. and and in many ways I wish I could have stayed there, but I was on a one year student visa okay. and then I did voluntary work in New York over the summer, which was amazing. Okay. Then it was time Another to come home. And that yeah, and going from Texas, going from this I was in Denton, Texas, which is about thirty miles north of Dallas. Going from Texas to New York was as big a shift as going to America. For those people, you know, a lot of people in Texas have never left Texas. New York was a million miles away culturally. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, and they were going, wow, you're going to New York, oh, be careful. It was another world. Yeah. And it was, so it was an equal jump. And I get to New York and I just loved it because I'd been, you know, I saw this real city girl. And it was lovely because I was, I was in New York, I was doing voluntary work on Staten Island at a children's camp. And then two days a week, we were doing voluntary work on Liberty Island. The yeah. Statue of Liberty was closed at that point. It was all being refurbished. What was it? And I was doing this voluntary work. It's amazing. I was doing this voluntary work where we were getting the island ready to be reopened for the 4th of July, which was the centennial of the Statue of Liberty. So I was literally polishing the, the, sh the glass cabinets in the museum underneath <laughs> on Liberty Island before it was reopened to the public. And I also got to go to Ellis Island, which was then, oh, it's, yeah. which is the immigration yeah, station. Yeah. Uh, which was then a building site because they were refurbing it then. It was, and as an immigrant at the end of my year abroad, you could feel the spirit of all those Europeans who had gone through, the, like the 1910s was the peak time on Ellis yeah. Island. Yeah. And you know, all those people wanting to be there and seek their fortune. And, and, and I would have loved to have stayed in America at that point. Yeah. And I could really feel that, oh, that spirit because yeah. I think, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. So <laughs> um, what year was that? That was 1986. I wonder whether they've refurbished it. Probably, I don't know, yeah. And you know, I, I never went up to Statue of Liberty, I never got to do that. And I've never been back to Liberty Island because I can never, because there's always a long line, you know, yeah. it's always, uh, you always yeah. have to queue forever to get, and I can never be bothered to do that. So I've never been back. But work itself took you to New York. Right? Yeah, so yeah, on the investment banking side, I used to have business trips that were two or three weeks long, staying in New York. I, used to, I, I, I spent a lot of time in Zurich for sort of months at a time, and then go to New York for a couple of weeks, Chicago. And then we, I used to train some of their systems and I used to sort of then go to Hong Kong, Singapore, you know, back round the yeah. States. And so I did jet set for a couple of years. Yeah. And I guess the Countess came out of that because okay. her, her, the character of the Countess in the book, she works for a consultancy that services banks. And so, yeah, she's had this globetrotting lifestyle, yeah. uh, but, but needs to settle and sort her life out a bit. Yeah. Not yeah, party yeah. quite so much and stuff. And, uh, well, that's good. That brings a bit of a traveller into the, yeah. the travel story, into, into yeah. the yeah. theme, into the story. Yeah, so it has got this, you know, and part of the, part of the story happens in Berlin. They go off to a conference yeah. there. So, yeah, it has still, in it, and yeah, and she goes to New York on a trip. So it has got that glow popping element to it. So as we only just fixed this uh, podcast interview up, Last week, or yeah, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Didn't have a chance to read the book. That's <laughs> <laughs> not what I will send it to you. Well, thank you. I know I'm looking forward to reading it now. <laughs> but your so your um your world travels. Do you travel quite? I travelled a lot as a young person, yeah. yeah. I backpacked, I did Operation Rally to Guyana in the early nineties. Oh, wow. So I did three three months in the jungle. Yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of travelling. I did interrailing in '92. I had a one-way ticket to Sydney by everywhere. You know, the sort of Southeast Asia on a shoestring, oh, you know, yeah. route. I bet you sold that book. Um, so yeah, as a younger person, I did a lot of travel. And now, as a now, obviously you did with, with work, but in terms of pleasure, do you still have itchy feet, or is it? Are you more sort of settled? I'm more settled. It's going to sound dreadfully boring. I have, I'm, I'm very happily sedate now, you know, <laughs> after all that sort of itchy feet and gallivanting around. So I don't travel half as much as I used to. Yeah. Um, I must admit now I'm quite busy sort of um, in my, my day job work. My parents are older, so it's been, you know, I've now got older parents. 
Um, so much more of my time is taken up sort of supporting them. So when I go on holiday now, I don't actually want to have an adventure. I want mm -hmm. to rest. Yeah. I want to go somewhere scenic to read my book. Okay. <laughs> okay? I, don't want, I don't want to go on some grand tour because I, I, I want to rest. I, I hope in the future to get back to that. Hopefully there'll be a time, early retirement or something, post-COVID, where we can go back to doing those things. Yeah. So yeah. there's certainly one of the things I'd love to do is drive across America, take a couple of months in yeah. a car and just meander across America. So there are things I'd love to do, yeah. but I'm not worried about doing them now. They're okay. not now things. They're, they are. Hopefully, I'll get around to that, and I probably will at some point. Things. Yeah, I think I think you go, life goes through stages when you when you have very sort of, I don't know active periods, and you, you challenge yourself to go places and you're yeah. inspired by everywhere. Yeah, you don't know where to go first, but it's also inspired. And I, there are places I love. I mean, I love places close to home. I love Cornwall. So now I, we, uh, me and my husband go down to Cornwall once or twice a year. I go down and do writing retreats. We love Port Leven in Cornwall. It's mm -hmm. big, splashy, what I call bank crash waves over rocks. And yeah. whenever it's, there's gales, it's always a picture you see in the paper, the waves coming over. Yeah. It looks yeah. like a, a, a chapel, a, a clock tower thing. And, and I love that. I'm going down there beginning in January, COVID permitting. Hope we don't go to tier three where I live, otherwise I won't be going, you know. Um, so, so there's places closer to home. I think I go for that inspiration now and that escape and to get nurtured. And then, you know, and I might go for a week and then come back and get on with things again. Is that where you would go, go to write? When you're writing a novel, I mean, you said you wrote on the train. I write everywhere because yeah. that's yeah. life. So, so you, you are happy to write wherever you say, like, for this next book, I really need two weeks and mark off in the, the no. diary. No, a lot of writers do do that. Yeah. And I know a lot of writers with families, if they've got children, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll book themselves under a premier inn or something for a couple of nights and escape. I mean, I, I don't have children, it's just me and my husband, so I'm quite sort of flexible on that front. But no, I've, I've taught myself to write anywhere because that's my life. I, I have to write before work. I've, yeah. I've had parents that have needed much more of my support in recent years. So where I used to have more freedom and two or three days I could have gone somewhere. I, yeah. I don't have that freedom now. So it's a case of do it where you're at. And if that's on a template train where there's barely enough room to get the, li the laptop lid back far enough, that's where I do it. Yeah. Um, you write blind, type blind later. <laughs> yeah, you know, first drafts, you mean that's, that's no bad thing to be honest. So yeah, I, I do it where I can, when I can. Um, with your, with your travelling, um, um, obviously you've seen a, a large stretch of the world, um, have there, is there one place specifically that's had a big impact on you? I think, I mean, um, I was thinking about this question, where would I live if it wasn't here in the UK? I think actually it probably would be the States. Um, I think, I mean, I obviously I spent a lot of time there when I was younger from, from going there as a 19 year old yeah. um, to doing a trip like that. I, you know, looking back, I realized how young I was doing that. When you're, when you're that age, you don't care, you just, yeah. you just go. Yeah. Um, going back there in my late 20s, early 30s for work, I, I would have loved to work in New York. The, the reason I didn't, and I probably could have wrangled getting a job there. The reason I didn't, because Americans don't get much vacation time, it's like a maximum you get two weeks off a year, and, and that was the one thing which put me off, I'm like, I can't do this, I need, I need four or five weeks off a year, there's no way I can do this. And, and that's probably what stopped me, you know, I probably could have got work there yeah, and, yeah. and made a life there, but I just, I just never. Um, so, yeah, I'm going, I've been going back to, going to Nashville last year, it was the first time I'd been to America for a while, and 
there is something about it though and I was it was Nashville which I've never been to before which is fantastic it, the conference was in a suburb called Franklin which yeah. is there's a lot of sort of creative entrepreneurs there yes, and, a, and yeah. a lot of sort of those kind of conferences happen there and it's quite historic as it, you know as America goes and, and I love all that you know I love that American history um, so it, yeah I sort of look at the place and you think yeah I could live here <laughs> you know I'm never, never going to but but I could you know so America is the place that's had the biggest impact on you as probably, well? Probably, probably. So not Guyana or... I mean, like I mean, Guyana was amazing. I, I did Operation Rally there, that was 1991, because there is no infrastructure there. I don't know what it's like now, but um, literally, I mean, it was one of the harder Operation Rally because, you know, there's no trains, you know, they, they, they would send us off the, the sort of coastal strip is where everybody lives, and then it's jungle. And they'd say, right, you're going here, we're going to give you a truck to here. There is a map. It was made 40 years ago, and it was cloudy that day, so the map has literally cloud cover written on it. And and just just check in on the radio every day and tell us when you get there. You know, and we would literally trek and, and take this river and yeah. barter with the miners that were there. Um, it was so. It was literally uncharted yeah. territory. Yeah. Um, which was it was incredible, and we was went to this. Scary? No, because we were in a group. We were, the, we were in groups. So there was a hundred of us on the expedition, but we were in groups of ten, and those people okay. were your, like your family. So we just did it all together. We stayed at a place called Kaito Falls, which is the largest single drop waterfall. It's actually, I think, in drop, it's bigger than Niagara. Around Niagara is really wide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kaito Falls is one waterfall, but it's huge. But because Guyana, even now, it's not that busy you know we would just wash our smalls on the side of the rocks by by this enormous waterfall where if it was in more developed places you wouldn't get anywhere near it unless you paid ten dollars mm -hmm. and then you would get five minutes with a bunch of people all trying to take pictures at the same time but we were just living by the side of this natural phenomena yeah. so so that was incredible and at the time I did used to say probably that place probably did have the biggest influence because when I came back from there, I then went, that's when I went backpacking in, in Southeast Asia. Yeah. But, you know, and I went there with all my mess tins and everything because we would live in army style in Guyana. <laughs> and I get to Thailand and it's like, well, you don't need your mess tin because they have restaurants and trains there. But Guyana, they, 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 there was nothing. There was yeah. literally no yeah. infrastructure. Yeah. And if you didn't camp and carry it, you weren't doing it. So, yeah, it was incredible that there was that kind of place still left on the earth. And I, I think there was a little bit more tourist development there now, but not a lot, yeah. nothing like you know yeah, it's not part of the world and you know that Renee uh, Rolex she's from Guyana she was born in Guyana what do you mean yes, no I yes. never knew that because I do know Renee I've been to you know I've been yeah. some of her talks and her exhibitions yeah. and stuff I never knew that I have to I then ended up in uh, growing up in New York Oh, I must, I must track you. Hello, Renny, if you're listening. Yeah, we must have a chat sometime. Your life in Bedfordshire is more sedate. It is, yes. Ha anyway. Yeah, happily sedate, but yes. If, um, if, say, I was coming to Bedfordshire, what, what would you say I should see or what should I just not miss? Bedfordshire is one of those places, I think it has been voted the most boring county in the UK. <laughs> it but it, but it does, it has... I don't even know where, which, what... Bedfordshire. It's on top of Hertfordshire, so Luton, Bedford, Woburn, Woburn Abbey. But actually, it is beautiful countryside. Where we, I live in a small market town called Amptill, which is, I call it like a village with antique shops kind of size of place. The countryside is beautiful. There's okay. gorgeous walks. I grew up in Dunstable. Dunstable Downs, I went walking there the other day. Um, 
it's very it's, it's a few miles from Ivanhoe Beacon, Whetsnade. So they're, they're, it's, it's beautiful. It's the beginning of the Chilterns there. Yeah. Bedford is the home of John Bunyan, so there's mm-hmm. that kind of history. The Pilgrim's Progress was allegedly yeah. inspired by the countryside around yeah, where, yeah. where I live. So, yes, there is history there. Dunstable, not the prettiest place now, but it's where Henry VIII divorced Catherine of Aragon. Um, you've got the Roman Road, Watling Street, and mm-hmm. Eaton Old Way crossed. Yeah, Watling Street goes through Dunstable, there's an Ellen's Cross there. So, there's a lot of history there. Yeah. You know, our yeah. local church. The Priory Church was a big abbey. It was built 1100 and something, you know. And so you, and that's you know, going to America was like, and they say, well, this is really old. It's 100 years old. And, and as a Brit, you know, as European, you just sneer at that. You know, my local church is a thousand years old. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, different perspective. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of history yeah. there, and beautiful open countryside. Okay. And and places like Woburn are really nice in Woburn yeah, Abbey. Yeah. Yeah. So I have been to Bedfordshire without realising I. Yeah, you've probably been through it on a train. Yeah. Yeah. I'll certainly be to Luton Airport. If you yeah. Say, yeah. Not the prettiest part, no. but quite but convenient. I'm pretty sure I've been to Woburn Abbey. Don't they have a music festival there? Or... Oh yeah, you often get gigs there. Yeah, yeah you might see in a band or something there. Yeah. 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 Clearly, I need to go back and reorientate my yeah. life around. Yeah. I reckon Woburn's a lovely place. You know, again, a sort of that sort of small town and peak shops kind of place. Yeah. You know. So anybody who's in the country and needs a trip to uh, countryside walking. Yeah, you know, in COVID times we can't, you know, can't go further afield. And if you're... how long does it take to get to from London to Bedfordshire? It takes. It's about an hour. So when I go home, I will be walking back to Blackfriars, and it's an hour okay. up to my local station at Slithick. So yeah, it's it's easily commutable. Yeah. Outside, outside of London. And, it, and it's again, it's about an hour up the M1 if, you, right. if you're going to drive. Now the rain stopped, yes. almost. Yeah. We're sitting in this park and surrounded by these massive London plane trees. Oh, I love these trees. So yes. This park I used to run around Did you? in the morning from 7am to 7 yeah. Half an hour job to get my yeah. mind in gear. I've done laps around this park in the past as well when I used to live near here. Yeah. And, um, but just looking at these trees, I just remember seeing something um, on your website talking about that you love trees. I love trees. Tree I am. A, I am a tree hugger. Yeah. I know. I've got worse over the years. <laughs> I'm, I'm an unashamed tree hugger right. now. <laughs> unashamed. Great. And how did this tree hugging? Uh, <laughs> I just like trees, you know. I, I mean, I used to you know, live near here. It's, it is, it is very built up around here. We've got yeah. trains going in and out of Waterloo. There's t- residential tower blocks all around us. But London is blessed with a lot of trees yeah. and a lot of parks. Yeah. Where I live, uh, you know, there was the Imperial War Museum. There was here. There's Kennington Park o- over the river. There's, you know, the Royal Parks. So again, just 15 minutes walk. So I think parks are somewhere. When I lived in London, you kind of come for solace. And I just like trees, and I like old trees. Like the, I don't know how old these trees are, but they've got big, thick trunks. You know, they've got to be 70, 80, 100 years old. And and I, and I yeah, and I think they're wise. They're, um, I you know, a tree has stood here a long time. These trees have seen it all. They've been through everything. We're in a difficult time at the minute. It'll pass. We'll survive it. So I think a tree is wise. Um, and I think there's just a calm, I don't know much about energy and stuff like that, but I think there is a calm in energy yeah, around yeah. trees. And more and more I find myself plugging into that. And I have sort of my favourite trees where I live and um, where I live at Amptill Park, it's like more open parkland. It's not like a municipal park like this. It's, uh, you know, you can go for walks. So there you get a lot of oaks, again, oaks, horse chestnuts, beech. Some I don't know what they are, but again, a lot of mature. I, I tend to home in on sort of the thick, mature 
gnarly bark Not trees. Not necessarily a specific species. No, but just yeah, species. an age. An yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just yeah, and I just you know, and I'll go on my walk around the park, and I you know, and I pat them, and I go, and I have my favourites, and I and I find that I sort of leaning back with your back against a tree and just taking a moment. And, and I've just, yeah, and I've sort of discovered that actually you get moments of insight then, and you know, it's calming. Um, I mean, people do say that trees have energy fields. I, I don't know much about this, but we do know that it's healthy to spend time in nature, even if you live in a city. Um, so there's just something good about it. You know? And also, you're seeing them change, like we change all the yeah. through the season. Yeah. And no two years do they ever look the same. Yeah. And they're, yeah, and they're beautiful, irrespective of the season. Like, you know, here we are in December, they're pretty much bare of leaves, but they're still beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, um, and I love, yeah, sort of bare trees, especially when you get a crisp, not so much today, it's quite grey, but when you get a crisp blue sky in the winter, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of frosty, frosty crispness. Yeah. And bare trees on the landscape. I mean, it's beautiful. It is. You know? It is. They're, yes, they're an art form. Yeah. And I'm majestic looking. Yeah, too. and I love this park. You know, I. It's funny enough, before we were in contact, I was doing a bit of tree hugging at home. And I thought, you know what, I love, I haven't been to Archbishop's Park for ages. Because when I lived near here, I used to walk around here all the time. Mm. And, and when I, I remember the first time I'd moved out of London. And I was still working in London, and, and I'd come to stay at the hotel near Lambeth North. And I had an evening free, and I came up here. And I remember just crying. I was so happy to be here. It's like, oh, because I think they're my friends, you know? And so I had been thinking about Archbishop's Park and then we were in contact yeah. about meeting somewhere here and I'm like, Archbishop's Park well, is no, meant to be. I was very glad that when you said that because I haven't been back here for a while either. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is it's reuniting with, with something yeah. that's very familiar. Yeah, and Kennington Park also. I love Kennington Park. Again, yeah. lovely trees. And yeah. the Imperial War Museum Gardens. They're, they're, they were, I had my favourite tree there. I, and I don't know, it's probably a plane tree, but again, it stands on its own. It's big. The span of the branches, you know, when a tree is standing on its own, but its span is massive, yeah. and I, that feels protective to yeah. me. Yeah. You know, you can just take a moment and just reflect or you sort, sort your head out, whatever you need to do. Yeah, and uh, you feel small, but you feel protected. Yeah. Which I like. Yeah, it's just something like about it. Big grandma. <laughs> yeah. And you're like yeah. three years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, it's, like, it's almost like the tree wraps its arms around you. Yeah. you know. and, and I think, yeah, they are wise. They've seen it all, yeah. you know. So I think anybody who hasn't hugged a tree who's listening to this podcast should go out there and yeah. hug their nearest tree that they like the look of and yeah. see how they feel about it. I know Holly Walton. I, I think yeah. you come across. Yeah. Her Did you know her? Do you know I've her? I've met her a couple of times. She's she's a bit of a tree Because I've recently heard her on a podcast and bought her book about talking to trees, yeah. talking with trees. Um, I have to contact her about getting her to come on the podcast. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and again, I've been emailing with her about about trees. So I think we're sort of almost coming to the end of of, uh, of talking before we our hands fall off. I don't know how cold you are, but I'm not too bad actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, But one thing I did want to ask you is, from all the things that you've said, is there one piece of advice that you could offer someone who may be struggling? their creativity and, and what, what would you suggest that they do and how to overcome it? I think for me the main secret is keep it little and often. Little and often. I mean if you set the bar low, you know, if I know some people, some writers and their minimum like I will write ten minutes a day. If you if you say make a determination to write ten minutes a day, that's doable. Because even if it's bedtime and you've forgotten you can 
you can do it you can write by hand you can tap yeah. on your laptop yeah. or whatever it's doable if you have grand terminations of I'm going to do three hours every morning and get up at half past four to yeah. do this you know the chances are you're not going to be able to keep that up so I think it's about little and often and finding those pockets of time and looking at where you burn time our phones are major time yeah. sucks you know I spend too much time on Facebook and then what there goes 10-15 minutes and you haven't even noticed but yeah. you could have been doing something at that time or getting to bed earlier so you can get up that bit earlier so I think keeping it little and often um, Julia Cameron she's written the art, a book called The Artist's Way which is very good for starting the, the out artist, The Artist's Way, the artist way. I mean she talks about that little and often is just laying track you know for example writing books are written a page at a time a paragraph at a time you don't have to do loads but just little and often and again if it's you know if you're an artist you you can spend 20 minutes with your sketch pad in the park yeah or yeah. you can take pictures with your iPhone mm -hmm. just as you're walking through so and, and over time that stuff builds up yeah and you can build your skills for that and yeah. then and you can sort of make the connections and, and stuff that you need to make so just just keeping it small yeah but frequent yeah just in those sort of I call it sort of writing in the in the cracks of your time in the nooks and crannies of your time okay. you, you can do stuff and when you've done that then you don't feel so bad about going off to the day job or looking after your children or whatever it is you have to do yeah if yeah. you can just grab those few minutes here and there yeah. to do what you really want to do well, using those few moments that you do have wisely as well yeah, yeah. And, and and it does make you feel better yeah that's a brilliant piece of advice. Thank you, Gary. You're welcome. I, I've been asking you lots of questions, but I wondered if there's anything that you wished I had asked you that I haven't. That no, I think we've talked about all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much. You've covered, especially you know, talking about the book. It's lovely to be able to talk about talk about that. So what what is the next step with, with the Countess? So it's, it's your next. Step. So the next step is I am writing a sequel. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a first draft of it. Um, a couple of summers ago in between finishing the book and the editor doing their bit there was yes. a bit of lead time and now I'm working through sort of tarting it up um, I'm quite a slow writer I don't know when it'll be ready um, I'm not one of these people who can knock out a book every three or six months like a lot of independent authors <laughs> so don't hold your breath it's going to take time do <laughs> I don't know they, they, they spend a lot of hours doing it yes. it's how they do it so yeah just sort of continuing with the Countess Mm -hmm. continuing to sort of do proper tea and chat on podcasts like like this thank you for having me thank <laughs> you so pleasure. much and just yeah just just turning that real you know yeah. i sort of do I've been done you know doing an interview every other week or so um yeah. and it's just lovely to have the opportunity to do that and um yeah just just, just keep going there's, there's more books to be written i'll just gently plod gently on with plod, them gently <laughs> plod. i think that's a great motto actually yeah. <laughs> um so for the podcast listeners we've put in the show notes we've got Creative. We've got gentlecreative.com. Gentlecreative.com. We've got. Callie and then callybird.com is about the Countess. You can also, if you want to sample talking handbags without yeah. actually buying it, you can go to talesofthecountess.com okay. and you can download the first couple of chapters okay. there. Um, is that, was that. Um spoken by you no that, that's a reading list. so it's so yeah you can and you can get it in kindle format or epub pdf whichever you like and you're also are you on instagram i am not on i'm not an instagram person but i i like twitter so i'm at cali bird okay. on twitter and facebook um facebook.com slash gentle creative so okay. i have a page there and of course you're on medium as well so. and medium yeah again if you just go on as um, search Cali Bird, you'll find all my blogs there okay, as well. So we'll make, all those, make sure all those uh, different um, 
social media mediums are, uh, are listed in the show notes. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's much appreciated. Oh, no. But Kelly, thank you so much for coming down from Beverage to London. Oh, it's been great. It's is it been down or across. I think it's it is down. down. Yeah. It is down. Oh, it's been fabulous. It's been fabulous. This is still my sort of spiritual home here uh, in SE1. It's, it's it's still home to me, and yeah. it's lovely to be back here. It's been lovely just walking around Archbishop's Park. Yeah. Too, How it? great! You know? So, to all you podcast listeners out there, I hope you've been inspired. I certainly have. Thank you for listening. We'll have another podcast next week. But for now, please do share with your friends if you've enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe and please give us a rating. That would be really helpful. But for now, have a lovely week. Take care and thanks for listening.